Yeah, I'm still here. Good morning. Just got to kind of walk with what's happening today, and so glad you're here today. Welcome. You know, um, last Sunday is, uh, was the, the resurrection celebration, Easter, uh, and all that, and it's one of the biggest days of church attendance across the world, and then today's one of the lowest. And one of the things is, and I want to encourage you with this, is because, see, when we come into God's house and we have this enthusiasm, there's this natural momentum that Easter brings to us as far as us and our human and our spirit as we celebrate Jesus Christ and what he's doing in our life. And we want to share that with other people, and it gives us a great opportunity to do that. After we come into the church, there's this uh, desire, even in unbelievers and people that are... Um, uh, church visitors, I will call that, like not regular attenders, but when we're there, we sense the presence of God. There's a desire to have more of Him. And we intend, I, I'm telling you right now, if you did a survey last Sunday of people leaving, they intend to come back today. This week, I believe that the week after Easter, the week after Christmas, are two of the most spiritually challenging weeks of the year. And one of the reasons for that is the enemy wants to discourage and frustrate all the desires of people. He has no power over us. Please hear me. I'm not giving him credit for anything. I'm just letting you know there is spiritual conflict steps up to a new level. There are challenges for us that we face every day as we navigate through life, but especially in these seasons where the Spirit of God is moving. And so I want to challenge you, everyone here, that we make that greater commitment. One of the reasons why I asked you to join me in a fast starting the day after Easter through the 21 days leading to Mother's Day is I am believing and praying for God to absolutely do a transformation in myself and in our church by obedience to the Holy Spirit. And those are my main two topics. I'm asking you to join with me. If you didn't start this week, you can just start today. A fast of something in your life that you want to just give up for God. It doesn't matter what it is. Uh, I have chosen something that is a part of my everyday life that I do every day with routine at a specific time. So I'm giving that up for this 21 days to spend that time in this intentional prayer for that specific purpose only. Continuing with my regular prayers, devotion, worship, all the stuff I normally do, but adding this element, asking God for that movement. And I believe it's critically important for us, church, and so I'm inviting you to join with me as we see what God is about to do. Every week I ask you accountability questions of reading God's word, listening, spending time alone with him. Are you obeying what the Holy Spirit's saying? Are you all in time, talents, and resources? We ask you uh, uh, several questions. And the questions that we're asking you is, is basically an invitation to say, are you living the Christian life outside of church? And so church, I'm going to ask you today one collective question. Last week, did you live the faith you proclaim? All right. I heard that trying over there. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. So, <laughs> We are, for all of us. So I appreciate your honesty because some of them uh, wouldn't even say trying. Uh, but anyway, we're going we're gonna to talk about this and what God has for us. So um, as we go along in church, uh, one of the statements we, are, we make regularly too is that we're not a perfect church. We're not a perfect people. We're here because we know we need God's help, and he's provided that help through Jesus Christ our Lord. Come and join us on this amazing adventure called Christianity. Here's the statement about what that means. Um, as we walk with Christ, we begin a new life, and they attribute that, um, that walk with God very much like the maturation of a human being from infancy, birth, all the way through senior adult life. And so when you think about the stages of humanity, uh, the infant 
who knows nothing in this world except that they want to be fed, they need help, they cry when they need it, to uh, infant, that's a, a baby, infant, and then childhood in the adolescent years, the toddlers first, two-year-olds to four-year-olds, and then infant life to teenage to young adult to adult. Now when we think about all those elements of human development, when someone has a new baby, like Bryce and Audrey just had a baby, you probably saw that on Facebook. I don't know if they're here today or they'll be coming later or not. Uh, but they just had a new baby. And everybody wants to crowd around a new baby and excited about it. So like when we celebrate baptism, it's kind of like that. We're like, oh, this is awesome. This is amazing. And we're all excited about that. But when it comes to toddlers, two-year-old to four-year-old, uh, no one crowds around anymore. As a matter of fact, a lot of people try and avoid them. So... There's this challenge for us in the church and everywhere else. Like, would you help in the nursery? And everybody's like, oh my God, mm, I've done my time. And the older people, especially the young people are like, I deal with that seven days a week at home, 24 hours a day. I need a break and someone take the kids. And the older people are like, I've done my time. I sent them out. I'm free. I don't need to do that anymore. And so it's one of the most challenging things is for us to get nursery attendance, right? It is. Okay, the reason for that is, hear me, as we get older... We become intolerant of youthfulness. It bugs us. It drives us crazy, their behavior, the lack of discipline, the sloppiness, the dirtiness, the brokenness that is so obvious in them. And so we stand over here and we're like, it wasn't like that in my day. I'd have disciplined those kids. They wouldn't have been like that. I'd have corrected that problem. And they, right? I mean, that, I hear it all the time. I know that's what's going on, okay? So as we mature, we become more set in our ways and less tolerant of those that are not living like we think they ought to. And that happens in the church. It happens as we think about our spiritual progression. The whole church is excited about those that are being baptized. We ought to be, by the way. It's like their, their faith is renewed. They're excited. They're beginning this journey. And we're like, woo! We want to give them a hug and celebrate with them. But then if we see those same people down the road a little bit, and we see some of their behaviors and think, you were baptized. You ought to be different than that. You said you're a believer. Let's, why aren't you changing? And we become a little bit more intolerant. And this is what happens as you look at the churches across America today. If you were to visit so many churches, what you will find is oftentimes a church will be the median age of its pastor within five to ten years in this direction. From five to ten years younger to five to ten years older, that median. You know why? We're comfortable around us. We don't want to be around them. Here's what was happening. Jesus is walking down the streets. The disciples were with them. Parents were bringing their little kids over, those toddlers. They were dirty from playing in the dirt and all that. And The disciples were like, get them out of the way. What are you doing? There's important stuff that needs to happen. There's the deaf, the blind, the lame. There's the broken. There's the demonic filled. And Jesus stopped them. And he said, bring those kids to me. And he blessed them. And as we look at that situation and things and we think about ourselves and where we are, I just want you to say, hear me, 
that Jesus in his teachings brought one of those children in the middle of the group and he said, this is what faith is right here. This is faith. This is what the kingdom of God's all about. It's just believing. It's living life to the full in every moment. As we mature in the church, we become intolerant. And that's crazy. That's crazy. That's not what Jesus is about. We ought to be excited about those that are living sloppy. We should be excited about the dirty people coming to church. We should be excited about those that are acting like a toddler, acting like a teenager. They don't know what's going on in their life, where they fit in, what their purpose is, don't know what it's all about. They're confused and lost and and misunderstood and trying to fit in somewhere. We should be embracing of those people and bless them. Okay, so as we continue on in this journey, God's calling us to something. And when I first got saved, uh, church, many of you probably know this, and maybe you don't, but, you know, I was just a boy when I got saved, 19 years old, started preaching right then. I became the pastor of the church I grew up in when I was, I think I was uh, about 23 years old. I was just a boy. Uh, No offense to you that are 23. But when I looked out in my congregation that God had called me to pastor, there was the lady that was uh, my kindergarten Sunday school teacher. And I was now her pastor. All these that had influenced my life spiritually sat in the congregation, and now I'm their pastor. And in that role of being their pastor, it was a struggle for me as I viewed them, thinking, Lord, how can I speak anything to them in their life when I'm a boy and they know you like I hope to someday know you? How can that be? And God just challenged me, and I loved it. He took that little passage from the Apostle Paul writing to the young pastor, Timothy, and he said, let no man despise your youth, Timothy, but be an example in word and in deed. Preach the truth relentlessly. And so as God used that for me, that's exactly what I tried to do, and I attempted to step step into that role in that context. But at the same time, I began to see the congregation in a different light than they actually were. Because I assumed those that I knew were mature. That they were what a Christian was supposed to be and they lived it. Because they'd been there for a long time. Because they were older than me. I assumed they were living it the way the Bible taught it. And as I became their pastor and in so I became aware of their life, my eyes were open to something completely different in that those that were older were still very immature in many areas of their life. They needed to develop their spiritual life, but they've come to this place where they just stayed and they existed in that Christian state and had not developed past that point. So what I saw then was I'm pastoring a church of preschool and nursery and by and large elementary believers and I thought they were graduates 
So as I was praying about that and looking at it and asking God about it, God began to teach me something so amazing for me, for me. It may not be you. And, you know, in Michigan, that's where I come from. In the winter, everything's dead, and it's just like sticks everywhere and cold and freezing. My brother texts me pictures. It's snowing in Cody, Wyoming. Thank you, Jesus, I'm in Tucson. Anyway, uh, <laughs> the trees have no leaves, and it's like dead. But, you know, you can go by, and there, we in Michigan, there's apple orchards. I know you guys have citrus here, but, uh, you know, like apples grow everywhere. And so the apple tree, like, gets the bump on the branch, and that's the first sign of life. And then it comes forth a little green leaf out of there, the stem, then a bloom, then the bloom falls, and then a little green bump. And that green bump continues to grow until in the fall it becomes red, and if it's a red apple, uh, juicy and delicious and amazing. And um, we're watching that apple for the fall because previous to that moment, it doesn't, it, it, it's of no value to me. I don't see its value. And as a matter of fact, if I try and taste it too early, it's pretty yucky, bitter, sour, and not good. So as I was viewing that, the Lord had me um, bring some people from our congregation, and I put someone in the very back, someone about the second row, fourth row, third row, second, first, all the way to the altar. So you know, when someone's first saved, they're back there, they're immature, they don't really understand things. Not that you sit back there. I'm talking about physically as we think about the spiritual development. And when we see someone up here that's the red apple, we're like, that's what a Christian is. This is what it is. And so we begin to get the mentality that everyone back there needs to grow up. They do. But God was saying to me, Dave, you see, at every stage of this development, there's perfection. And at every stage in that development, there is holiness, my holiness, for in them is life. And that life is growing and developing and maturing. And it is becoming. And what is it that we're becoming? Christ-like. And so oftentimes the way we in the church view people is, if they're not the end product, they're not. But they are. Because the moment we say yes to Jesus, life enters us. We're no longer dead. We are now alive. And the evidence of that life begins to be seen immediately. But it's not seen in its perfection. It's not seen in the end result. But there is evidence of the life. Therefore, I declare to you this morning, church... No matter where you are in your Christian life, there needs to be evidence, and it needs to be transforming evidence. Therefore, you cannot remain at any one of those stages, or therefore, you no longer have life. For where there is life, there is growth, there is development, and there is maturity. And therefore, you cannot remain in kindergarten any longer. It's time for many in the church to begin to graduate. Begin to move forward and accept the responsibilities that come in life as a mature believer. And therefore, as we walk with Christ, God is doing something inside of us. He's transforming us. And there should be more and more and more evidence of what we are becoming, which is Christ-like. Let us look upon one another wherever we are. 
and bless those around us like Jesus did. Don't push them away. Bring them here. Whatever stage they're in, embrace them where they are to encourage them in their walk with God. As I read you scriptures this morning, there's going to be an extensive reading, more than I think I've ever read in church before. I'm not going to tell you where it's at. They're not going to put it on the screen, even though I didn't tell them that. And you're going to listen. And then we'll put it on the screen for you. You ready? When I pray and look for the message God has for us, and I'm praying throughout the week and seeking Him, and I'm looking, um, God, like, it's, He just does His thing, you know? And I just know, this is it. So as I was looking in God's Word, and I was looking, I was like, is that it? Ooh, can't stop there. Oh, can't stop there. And pretty soon I was like, okay, God, we got to put the brakes on at some point here. (laughs) When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given. But it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, Everyone died. From the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did, now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who is yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the results of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God and even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation to everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? Of course not! Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined Him in His death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with Him in His death, we will also be raised to life as He was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Hallelujah. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. 
And since we died with Christ, we know we also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from slavery to sin and you become slaves to righteous living. Hallelujah. That's Romans chapters 5 and 6 in that section of God's amazing, amazing redemptive plan for you and I. This is written to the church. Please hear me, believers. This is written to us, challenging us and calling us. It is an amazing proclamation. That Jesus Christ has given us victory not only over death, but over sin. And that he has proclaimed to us freedom and victory that is available to anyone that believes. Man, that is like the best news ever. We see very clearly the sin of Adam was in all humanity. And we were all sinners and we were enslaved to sin. Very clearly illustrated here by the Apostle Paul to the church. Our brokenness and our sinfulness owned us. And yet he tells us in this very context that the gift of freedom from sin is available through Jesus Christ. So we also see very clearly, church, there is victory over sin in our life through Christ right now. Church, not when we get to heaven. Right here, right now. The victory that Christ has given to you and I over sin in our lives is available and free. Verse 17 said this, But even greater is God's wonderful grace and His gift of righteousness, for all who receive it will live, how? In triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. We will live in triumph. That's victorious living. That's not defeated living. That's not like living in the shadows. That's living in victory. It's a proclamation of the church. I get frustrated with Christians who would rather own their past sin than owning their present victory. So many in the church talk about, well, we're just sinners. No, we're not. We were. But if you know Jesus and you are now following him, you are no longer a sinner. You are now saved and you are living a victorious life. Church, let's own the truth of the gospel. 
Let's own the victory Christ provided for us. Let's stop making excuses for living immature, sinful lives and step into the fullness of the victory of Christ. The Word of God tells me I have been given triumphant victory over sin in my life. All right. So in chapter 6, as it opens up, and and it begins this this discourse to, to proclaim something to us, we are directly challenged about who reigns in our life. Is it sin that reigns in your life, or is it freedom? The entire content is talking to us about who it is that reigns supreme within me, who it is that makes the decisions within me, who it is that I follow. So there's this challenge to us saying, look at what God did. Adam brought sin on us, and we were all slaves to that. God sent Jesus to set us free from that. The challenge in chapter 6 as it opens up is saying, who are you following? Who's making the life choices in your life? What decisions are you making about how you live and what are those based upon? Because he's telling us, remember, the Bible's written to the believer. So as he writes to us in the church, where since once reigned and we were slaves to it, Now Christ resides, and we are now set free from our old ways. In verse 6, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. Come on, church. We're no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. See, before, sin owned me. No matter how much I tried to not do it, I did it. It owned me. I was a slave to sin. Man, no matter how hard I tried, no matter what I did or tried not to do, I'd end up there. I'd end up over there. Church, when I stepped into this freedom in Christ, and you, as we joined in this relationship with Him, and we began to walk, I wonder why we are so quick to immediately make excuses to live in our continued brokenness than actually proclaim and step into the freedom and the victory Christ has for us. I wonder why it is that we would rather stay back there, so to speak, as a little bump on a branch rather than experiencing the fullness of Christ by faith stepping into the newness of life. When I read the scriptures, I'm saying, Lord, why is it that we in the church are constantly trying to make excuses and say the words like, I'm just a sinner. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinful person, and I just can't help it. And, you know, we're, we're going to do this until the day Jesus comes. Well, I got news for you. The word of God declares something completely different than that. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. That's the words I read to you from the Word of God. So you also should consider yourself. Are you a Christian? Have you received Christ as your Savior? Then you ought to consider yourself dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. 
See, this amazing work God's done through Jesus Christ, we couldn't do. But God did it all. He gave it to us, and He's saying, will you accept this? Step into it. Not just start something. Not just get wet. But will you come from that moment and step into the new life that God has provided for us to live in victory? Man, that's an amazing statement of freedom. Let's think about it this way. Since we moved to Tucson, we've lived in four houses. Um, when we, before we came here back in 2005, you know, the housing market was nuts. There was bidding wards on, on uh, houses. Y'all didn't have a parsonage. In Michigan, all the churches had parsonages. You live in the church house. So we didn't have a place to live, so we were looking online to find a place to rent. We never bought a house before. We never owned one. And so we were looking for a place to rent. And we didn't even physically see it. Um, our secretary that was here for the church helped. And we were looking online and said, hey, is this place safe to go and live? Yeah. So we rented a house online without ever seeing it. Uh, Pantano and Golf Links area. And uh, we went over there um, and moved in. We lived there for a year. It's been 13 years that we moved out. So right now, I was telling the people in the first service, I'm telling you guys, even as I've processed this, I, um, I cannot remember the layout of that house. It's not just because I'm dumb or losing my memory. I'm saying, like, uh, what I mean by that is, is that when we moved into that home, became our home, and I think it had four bedrooms. I'm not even positive. My wife will be able to tell me probably when she gets here. Um, but here's the thing. As I lived there, it became my home. But the day we moved out, it was no longer my home. And now I live somewhere else. And I don't care what the layout of that house was. I don't care if I could navigate through it or not. When I moved from that residence to this residence, this is where I live. This is what matters, and this is what I need to learn the layout of. And now when I first moved in... We had to have nightlights on at night because you got to find your way because it's not the same. But once you begin to live in that new life, in that new residence, you don't need as much light because you just know how to walk. You know how to live. And you begin to understand where everything is and how it functions and what it's all about. I don't care about that old place. I can drive by there and I can look at it but I don't want to live there anymore. I'm really happy that I no longer live there. Church, quit driving by your old house. Quit trying talking about the way it used to be, the way your house lived and the way it was and what you experienced. You're no longer there. Move out, man. Step into the new. We have been called into the new life. There is the power of God available that you did not have over there. And the truth of the matter is, in that house, you were a slave. You were in bondage. And now you've been set free. And we got to stop talking about that life and start living this life. And stop wondering and dragging ourselves back when God says, I've got something new for you. I've got something better for you. Man, it's time that we accept and step into this amazing freedom that God has given to us in every area of our life. 
Stop excluding portions of your life. Stop giving in to bondage in your life. Begin to step into the fullness of Christ. It's no longer who I am. It is who I was, but I'm not who I was. (laughs) And that's not who I am. When we're made new in Christ, we're new creations. There was a decision that we have to make. There is a decision we have to make. I had to decide to follow Christ, and I am free or I'm a slave. It's my choice. And when I look at this in verse 16, church, please hear this. Don't you realize that you become the slave to whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. So here's the deal. I don't have to get up every morning and get saved. I don't have to go to bed every night and say, oh, God, forgive me for every stupid thing I did today. Here's what I have to do. I have a decision to make. Every day, for the rest of my life, I will have a decision to make. Who am I going to obey? Am I going to obey the Spirit of God? Or am I going to obey the old voice of sin? See, it is calling, and that word is called temptation. Temptation is calling out to us. Hey, come here. Step across. Come on, let's have some fun. Let's go do this today. Let's go over here. And it's calling us. But temptation is not sin. Jesus was tempted in every part like we were, yet without sin. So Jesus Christ conquered sin and death, and he resisted temptation, and he chose to live right. You and I are tempted every day, and we choose to obey or not. Before you sin, the Holy Spirit, remember how we're talking about the Spirit-led life? The threefold work of the Holy Spirit? He convicts the world of sin. That's how we ever came to Christ in the first place. Hey, you need me. Come here. We repented. We believed. We received forgiveness for our sins. The work of the Holy Spirit convicting us. Now I'm walking with Christ. I'm made new. I've been baptized. I'm walking in my faith. And now the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, you need to live the righteous life. That's what Jesus said. Convict the world of righteousness, which he explained to us was the righteous life in God. So as I walk every day, I have a choice to make to obey the Holy Spirit, to live that righteous life. Because the Holy Spirit is also telling us there's going to be a day we stand before God, the threefold conviction of the Holy Spirit, of sin, of righteousness, and coming judgment. I'm going to give account for my life. I am called to be Christ-like. And therefore, I must every day choose to obey the Spirit, not the flesh. Because the sinful flesh that is calling to us will take us back into bondage and brokenness. The Spirit of God will bring us into life and newness. Whatever you choose to obey, that you become the slave of. Oh my goodness. Who are we going to obey today, church? This is a daily ongoing decision we have to make. So as we mature, we grow in our faith, it becomes like a no-brainer. As I walk in the Spirit of God. So, here, like, as we mature and we walk with God, it does not mean we're um, impervious to temptation. Of course not. The temptation's always calling us. But there's the righteousness of Christ and the Holy Spirit that's leading us into this new life. And as we grow in it, 
the desire to be Christ-like increases within us. When we were young in the faith, we required more grace. And that's what the Apostle Paul is writing to us. This amazing grace that God gives us, that when we're young in the faith and we're falling around, he's picking us up and saying, come on, come on, get your legs under you. But as we mature, you know this, church, as we begin to walk and we're upright, the world is different. And then as we mature, we begin to address the world differently. And God has called us into this amazing life of Christianity through the power of the Spirit to live in victory, to proclaim the truth of who Christ is. And we have to understand that there are boundaries that we have to establish by the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I am no longer a slave to sin. I am living in the power of the Holy Spirit. In verse 17, thank God once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we've given you. Now you're free from your slavery to sin and you become a slave to righteous living. See, there's this complete expectation from God's word that my life changes and I choose to live the way God's called me to. The power of God's available to me. He told us that when we were baptized. It's like we died on the cross with Jesus. Our sins were crucified with Christ. We were buried with him in baptism. We came up in new life. And the power that God gave to raise up Christ from the dead is now living in me. How can we sell that short? How come we sell it short? There's victory for us, church. Okay. So last thing before we baptize Nita over here. Um, This is the last thing I'm going to share with you before we do that. There's uh, every kind of teaching in the church today. We know that. All around the world, there's uh, different theological beliefs and teachings. And um, there's a... There's a widespread theology of people who believe that uh, we sin in word, thought, or deed every day. That we can't be free from sin while we're here until we die and go to heaven. And that's a widespread theological belief. Many people, even people that come to this church, have the idea that you're eternally saved and you can't help but sin. Okay. So I believe the Bible teaches contrary to that. And the scriptures we just read, I think, are pretty clear about that. But let me go further with that. I want to challenge us in what we're, what we're believing and living. That's the point of this, so don't misunderstand what I'm saying. When I was in Michigan, pastoring a church, um, there was a church in our city whose pastor uh, had an affair. And uh, this was one of those churches that taught that you can't help but sin in word, thought, or deed every day. And so the teaching was that you couldn't live without sin, and until you go to be in heaven. So this pastor had an affair. And the church removed him from this position. And I was like, that's hypocrisy. Why would you take him out of his position if you believe that you can't help but sin and you have no power over it? Wouldn't that be hypocrisy to say, you know, we know that you can't live above sin and you're a sinner and you always will be, but you sinned and you can't be our pastor anymore. I was like, what? How, how can you justify that? Church, hear me. Listen. In their heart, they knew. In their heart, they knew that someone in that place should know better 
and should have not made that choice. There is a belief within us in the power of God to give us victory. And we've got to stop making excuses for the sin in our lives and start stepping into the victory God has for us and by making that choice to obey. Every single one of us have choices to make and we have temptations and we can screw up everything. This very morning, I'm reading in Bible Gateway, the, that's the website I'm on, looking at the Bible, and I'm reading. And I come down to the bottom of the page and in the middle of the screen, it's this big is this ad for this place in Las Vegas with women and it has a silhouette of a lady on there and I was like, what in the world? I, I was like blown away that that would be on that page of all places, right? Hear me now, hear me. See, temptation's always there. Always there. And the enemy, he's like wanting to call us back into bondage. Just click that and see what that's all about. That can't be what it looks like. It's got to be something different. They wouldn't let that be on that page if that's what that really is. Just check it out. No, that wasn't even a thought. I was aggravated and angry that that was on that page. I'm like, what in the world? Where's their filters at? And why would that be there? I'm disgusted with them. And I'm disgusted that we as a culture would allow those places to exist in our communities, while we talk about women's rights and we want to lift up who a woman is, and at the same place, at the same time, we are being patronized by making women sex objects and nothing but for the pleasure of myself. How wrong is this? And we all know that. I'm telling you, there are decisions we have to make every single day. We have to choose who we will obey who we serve. I choose this day to serve the living God. I choose the victory that is in Christ. I choose to live the righteous life that I'm called to live. I am not the man I was. I'm not who I will become. But thank God, God is transforming me into Christ's likeness every day of my life. Church, that's what God's called us to. We need to embrace that and step into the fullness God has for us. Do not get stuck where you are. If you continue to struggle with the same sin in your life, you need to surrender. There is a step that God is calling you to, to step into newness in Christ. You choose. You choose. There is a portion of this relationship that falls on me. God has done everything for me. God has provided it all for me. Now I have to choose to live in it. My choice. I obey. Following Him. There's victory over sin for you. You simply receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and God begins the journey with us. Believers, are you still stumbling around, wrestling with who you will belong to? Every area of your life. All right? There's probably areas in your life where you're all in. And then there's other areas of your life. That's where God's calling us to right there. Where in your life are you still a slave to sin? Why do you keep driving by the old house? Why are you wanting to go in and take a walk through the old place? 
man, leave it behind you. You are no longer there. You can choose to live in victory in Christ and allow him to defeat sin in your life. So God is asking us, will you? Will you? If anyone needs to come to the altar this morning, we're inviting you to come right now. Don't wait. It's not about anybody else. It's about you today. Would you come? Would you come? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you. It's your first Sunday here. God loves you. I'm so glad. Isn't it amazing how he sets us up for appointments with him? It's so cool. <laughs> Naomi, would you come and pray with her? This is Naomi. <laughs> Thank you, Andy. <laughs> Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Bob. Lord, you <laughs> Thank you, Frank. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you for these that are here today. <laughs> here to say yes to you, Lord. We love you. You're amazing, God. We choose life. We choose victory. Lord, we want to grow up. Tired of being babies. We're tired, tired of crawling around. We want to grow up. Lord, we choose you. We're all in. We love you, Lord. Thank you for all you do for us. We give you glory today, Lord. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bring your lady up, Bob. Come on around these stairs right here. Hey, Justin, can you come here and help me? set that right there. If you want to grab your towel out of there, that'd be awesome. No way we're rushing anything. We want God to do His thing here. <clears throat> Thank you. baptized Bob, the last baptism. Bob and Nita had, uh, had um, been living according to the Jewish law. <laughs> Amen. Been set free and found Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, is their Savior. It's such an awesome privilege that we can baptize Nita today, and I asked her husband to help us. And so, Nita, if you want to put your arms right across your chest, lady, and you can plug your nose if you need to when we put you under. And the word of your testimony that Jesus Christ is your Savior and Messiah. We baptize you today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Amen.
God bless you, Rita. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. See our brand new shirts? When you get out there, it's made new right there, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So there's no, uh, you can help too here, so. Uh, there's no age discrimination on being made new and what God's doing in our life. And I love that, man. It's so great. God bless you, Bob and Nita. And thank you so much for being obedient to the Spirit of God. Yeah, thank you, buddy. God bless you. Congratulations. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Super proud of you guys. There's your stuff there. And take your Bible with you there on your seat. We have some things for you. We have the incredible privilege of baptizing 13 people in the next service we have lined up. And we're excited. You pray for them as they begin that made new journey with Christ. And God bless you and your family today. Have an amazing week with Him. Amen. Get on out there and let's be the church. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank <laughs> you.